0: Well we've arrived at the uh, fourth commandment, fourth of the Ten Commandments. We took the fifth commandment last Sunday and we read the account in uh, Deuteronomy chapter five and uh, you might want to have your Bibles open to uh, Exodus chapter 20 because that's basically the passage that we will be looking at. I guess when it comes to the the Sabbath day we have a whole lot of questions. Uh, What does the Sabbath mean? Does the Sabbath, Do the Sabbath regulations that pertain to Israel also pertain to the New Testament church? How come we worship on the first day of the week, not on the seventh day of the week? Uh, what should we do on Sunday? What should we not do on Sunday? Are there any rules? Uh, one of my favorite authors is uh, Albert Moeller, president of Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville. And his... Uh, Commentary on the commandments is called Words from the Fire, and he gives it a true account of what happened to him when he was 16 years old. I can remember one of my first times experiencing acute moral ambiguity. It occurred in relation to Sunday afternoon and my car. I was 16 years old, had my first car, was a mean machine, a 1964 Ford Fairlane, black, red vinyl interior, an air conditioner that didn't work but look good hanging from underneath the dash. This fair lane was the object of my almost complete fascination. One Sunday afternoon, I, as I washed my car, an act, an act of spiritual devotion to the car, my mother observed this and went into a mother moment. Every 16-year-old boy knows what this looks like. Mom came out of the house with a look of absolute moral, theological, and almost divine indignation on her face. What are you doing? I'm washing my car. Don't you know it is Sunday, she asked. In fact, I did know it was Sunday. You're breaking the Sabbath commandment, she continued. To be honest, given my idolatrous love affair with my car, it was the second commandment, not the fourth, that I was in such great danger of breaking. I remember standing there with a half-washed car, half-soaked and half-not, and wondering what in the world I had done to deserve this matriarchal, moral onslaught. More than that, what in the world was behind all this? How was I supposed to know what was on the do and the don't list for Sunday. So that was the moral dilemma that uh, Albert Moeller faced. And if you grew up in a strict uh, home as as I did, there were definite rules and regulations regarding Sunday. In fact, it seemed to me that the one defining factor, the one rule for Sunday was never have fun. (laughs) If it was enjoyable, it was sinful today the pendulum has swung in the opposite direction for the majority in our society Sunday is just another day of the week in fact 75% of Canadians do not attend church on Sunday church is not in their plans so what about this Sabbath deal what are we to do with it some claim that the Sabbath observance goes back to creation and if you look in In Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 11, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. There's no command really from Adam to Moses, no command till the fourth commandment is given about what really to do or not to do on the Sabbath. But God created in six days and rested. Well, why did he rest? Was he tired? Was he weary? Was he worn out? No, he was finished. (laughs) He completed creation in six days. When the command was given to Israel in Exodus, it was linked to creation because it foreshadows that final rest for eternity that all those who believe in God will experience. But until that future day, we as the people of God are to take one day out of seven and rest from our labors and focus on God, his mercy, and his redemption. The main emphasis of the command in Exodus is on rest. In fact, Sabbath means cessation of exertion, cessation of labor. It was a foundational piece of social and humanitarian Legislation. I don't have time to read all these verses, but everybody, including Israelites and Gentiles and animals, were supposed to rest on the Sabbath. They were not to seed crop or harvest crops. Exodus 34:21. No domestic um, activity. In fact, uh, there's an account in uh, Numbers 15. A man was gathering wood, probably for a fire, and he was commanded by God through Moses to be stoned to death. Traveling was forbidden. Uh, Carrying a burden was forbidden. Uh, Any kind of commerce, any kind of business was forbidden on the Sabbath. In Nehemiah chapter 13, when Nehemiah is establishing the people, uh, come as the governor over the city in the return of the exiles from Babylon, uh, he noticed that there was uh, a lot of activity going on in terms of business and commerce on the Sabbath and even Gentiles were bringing stuff into inside the city walls and everything was going on as usual on the Sabbath and Nehemiah ordered the gates to be shut on the Sabbath so that no one could come in or go out and transact any business on the Sabbath. It was a time to remember and that's... Uh, That's something we read in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and uh, verse uh, 15. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath. They were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and I would imagine the slaves, they had no days off, they had no rest, And after 400 years God liberated them and now they are to take a break from the routine of work. One day a week to remember the great deliverance that God brought about with his mighty acts. So it was a time to remember. It was a time, it was a special sign uh, from God to Israel uh, indicating his special covenant relationship with them. And in Exodus chapter 31, uh, this is pointed out, Exodus 31, verse 12, um, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, you shall surely observe my Sabbath for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death. What happened if everybody who doesn't attend church every week is... Well, we don't want to think about that, do we? Therefore you are to observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death for six days. Work may be done. On the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. And the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generation. So it was a a special sign between uh, Israel and God. In Old Testament times they were God's chosen people and his revelation was given to the Jews and to no other nation. God blessed Israel when they kept the Sabbath. He judged them when they did not. There's an interesting verse about the Sabbath in Isaiah 58, verse 13. If because of the Sabbath day you turn your foot from doing your own pleasure on my holy day And call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord, honorable. And shall honor it, desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and speaking your own word. Then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth, and will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. So notice what he says, that on the Sabbath you are to turn your foot from your own pleasure desisting from your own ways, from seeking your own pleasure, and take delight in the Lord. So those were some of the regulations. In fact, there are a whole bunch of laws regarding the Sabbath in the Old Testament that we will not get into. But God promised to bless the nation if they kept the Sabbath and to delight in him, to focus on him one day a week. What about Jesus and the Sabbath? Well, he met strong opposition from the religious leaders they saw him as violating the Sabbath because he healed on the Sabbath. You shouldn't do that. You should never heal on, on the Sabbath day, they thought. The Pharisees uh, were exhibit A as to how not to observe the Sabbath. We get to uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, and uh, one of the um, examples of, God, of uh, Jesus' healing on the Sabbath day and the trouble he got into. Now, really being Lord, he was not really in trouble, but the Pharisees thought he was. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 10, there was a young man with a withered hand and they questioned him saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him? He said to them, What man shall there be among you who shall have one sheep if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath? Will he not take hold of it and lift it up? And they don't answer that because, yes, they would. They would rescue an animal on the Sabbath day. But Jesus goes on and says, Oh, how much more value value then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he turned to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and counseled together against him as to how they might destroy him. The same account is found in another uh, section in the Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Uh, Moller says that uh, the, the Pharisees were often observed as a religious traffic cops waiting and wanting to write tickets about Sabbath breaking. Christ reminded them in this same context that uh, he was Lord of the Sabbath. He made the Sabbath. You can't tell Jesus what to do and what not to do on the Sabbath day because he created the Sabbath. And he says that the Sabbath day was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, man is not to be burdened with a bunch of heavy rules on the Sabbath. What happened over the years was that the Sabbath had become an intolerable burden to the people, not because of Scripture, but because of the additions to Scripture put on them by the Pharisees. For example, carrying a burden was forbidden. Well, what's carrying a burden? Well, the Pharisee says picking up a child or lifting anything heavier than a dried fig. That's carrying a burden. That's not biblical, that's Pharisees. If a person was in one place and he stretched out his hand with a piece of fruit in the hand and when he did this, the Sabbath day arrived, he was to drop the fruit. Otherwise, he was working on the Sabbath. Travel was forbidden. Uh, Well, how far do you travel? Well, the rabbi said 2,000 cubits, that's about 1,000 yards. What about labor? Now, women, listen carefully to this one. Women were forbidden from gazing into a mirror if because if they found the white hair and plucked it out, that's working on the Sabbath day. I, Carol, did you uh, pluck with any gray hair? No, you didn't. Okay, good, you're okay. okay. If a radish was dipped in salt and left too long, that was pickling. I mean, it was, a, it was and there's a lot more here. It was a deplorable state of affairs. How could anybody? probably know all this extra uh, stringent rules that the Pharisees had piled on. So the, the, the Sabbath was desecrated in two major ways. Outright neglect and lack of interest like in our culture. No time for God. Or meticulous observance that had nothing to do with Worship rigid rules and regulations that created a legalistic mindset and so worship became external not from the heart legalism had murdered the Sabbath under the Pharisees well we're told in Romans six fourteen that you are not under law but under grace and does this mean that we are not to concern ourselves with any of the commandments that we are to scrap all of them because The commandments are law. And we are to live by love and forget the law. I'm sure Paul didn't mean this because in Romans 13, 8 to 10, he talks about loving our neighbor. Then he defines what that love is. In other words, how do you know if you're doing a loving thing unless you have some parameters, some regulations to, to define what, what love is? Uh, love is not just whatever I feel like doing. If I feel like something is love, it is love. No, it, it doesn't work that way. In our culture it works that way, but, but not according to the Bible. So Romans chapter 13 owe nothing to anyone except to love one another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. So what does that mean? How do I love my neighbor? Well, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not... Oh, well, that's law. But see, the law defines what the loving thing to do is or not do is. Love does no wrong to its neighbor for love is the fulfillment of the law. Our culture has no standard, has no absolute loss, and it's forever talking about love. It doesn't know what love is. Love becomes my personal feelings and passions and urges and desires. But that's got our culture in all kinds of problems. As Christians, our focus is not to be on law, but on Christ. In fact, in Romans ten fourteen, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. See, people thought, if I observe the law, I will become righteous and God will accept me. If I do good works and obey all these rules that either come from the Bible or that I've added to the Bible, that I can be saved by keeping the law. But that's not what the Bible teaches. No one Receive salvation by keeping the law. You would have to keep the law of God 100% of the time in thought, desire, motive, and act. We don't even come close to doing that. So Galatians 2.16 makes it very clear. A man is not justified, that is, made right with God, by the works of the law nor are we sanctified by the law. We're not made more holy through rules. Notice Galatians 3, chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Uh, are you so foolish, having, become, having begun by the Spirit? In other words, you were saved by the work of the Holy Spirit. Are you now made perfect or being perfected by the flesh, by your efforts to keep the law. No, you were saved by faith, you live by faith. If we try to make ourselves more holy by keeping laws, one or two things result utter frustration and a sense of complete failure, because we don't keep the law, or pride thinking we have kept the law. And focusing on the law, the commandments or other laws, diverts our attention away from Jesus and reliance upon the Holy Spirit. So to place the law front and center in the Christian life is a grave mistake. We fulfill the law by seeking the strength of the Holy Spirit to live in honor of Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life, Romans 8, has set you free from the law of sin and death, for what the law could not do weak in the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in order that the requirements of the law, they're not done away with, the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in you who keep rules, no, who walk by the Holy Spirit. So focus your attention on the Holy Spirit, not on the law, but the Holy Spirit will guide you to keep the law. Now, I might ask, are the commandments repeated in the, in the New Testament? Nine out of 10 are. Guess which one isn't? The Sabbath. The Sabbath. Some people call Sunday the Christian Sabbath. I think, I don't like that phrase, Christian Sabbath, for it gives the impression that the laws that govern the Old Testament Sabbath are still in vogue, still in play for Sunday, and they're not. Otherwise, we'd all be dead. You break the Sabbath, you die, and we're here the designation to those who call Christian, uh, Sunday the Christian Sabbath is Sabbatarianism. And that has resulted in a good deal of legalism, as Moeller found out when he was washing his car. The other extreme, which is where our culture is at, is antinomianism, which means antinomous against the law. In other words, I'll do what I want any day of the week, including Sunday. Why do we worship Sunday? Because Jesus rose the first day of the week. That's in all the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all say that. We gather as redeemed people to celebrate this great fact. You know what? Every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday for Christians. You know what? Every day is resurrection focus for Christians because we only have Forgiveness of sins, according to 1 Corinthians 15, because Jesus rose from the dead. The the Didache, which was a first century worship manual written about 100 AD, said this On the Lord's Day, which is Sunday, come together, break bread, and hold the Eucharist. So the early church began to observe worship the first day of the week. Now, You will find no command in the New Testament to change from Saturday to Sunday. And I would think that the Jews had difficulty making that switch from the Sabbath, the seventh day, to the first day of the week. In fact, Paul often preached in synagogues because that's where the people were. But in Acts 20, we read about the people coming together the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, we are to bring our offerings to the Lord the first day of the week. Uh, Ignatius, writing at 110 A.D., so this is just shortly after the completion of the book of Revelation, states that Christians have come to a new hope, no longer living for the Sabbath, but for the Lord's Day. Now, it's not that we can only worship on Sunday. In fact, life is to be worshiped for the Christian, all of of life. (laughs) But we come aside from our daily labors to focus on our great and glorious God who has rescued us and redeemed us. We know how busy and hectic life can be. And when other things shove God aside, when we are so busy we just have no time for God or church or listening to the word on Sunday, we will start to pay a price in our spiritual lives. Well, I know what you're, what you're waiting for. What is permissible and what is not permissible on Sunday in terms of activities? Well, get your, get your pens out. I have a list of rules. No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't have a list of rules. Um... Uh, we don't have detailed instruction laid down in the New Testament about what to do or not do on Sunday but what we have is a a warning and I believe that Sunday ought to be different and I'll explain in a minute or two why it ought to be different but but listen listen to uh, to these words Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Mm. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And up in verse 20, if you have died with Christ to the elemental principles of the world, why as if you were still living in the world do you submit yourself to degrees such as Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Rules, rules, rules. And we're told in verse 23 that uh, these have the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Well, I still haven't told you why Sunday ought to be different. Listen up, here we are. I believe that we need to come together consistently, regularly as a people of God, for worship and for ministry to one another. Hebrews chapter ten, verse twenty-three is pretty pretty clear here. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for his promise is faithful let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembly together as the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near so we gather as the people of God to worship, to praise as we've done this morning to give First Corinthians 16, one and 2 makes it very clear that the people gathered and they gave money the first day of the week. That was a vital part of worship. Ken Hughes says, We hear God's word, are instructed in truths, immemorial. We learn how to love God. We learn to live under his ethic. We give, we fellowship, we depart for service. Sunday is a tremendous opportunity to take delight in the Lord. To say to our families, to say to the world, we find more joy in being here than on the golf course or camping or boating or any other thing. Our priority is to be here. There's more joy in that than other things. John Piper's states a sad truth. Many professing Christians enjoy sports and television and secular books and magazines and recreation and hobbies and games far more than they enjoy direct interaction with God and his word. Let me remind you that whatever we establish in terms of our own conduct and behavior on Sunday, and by the way, we are not to set rules for one another. We are not. Sunday should not become a burden to us. Burdened down with all these regulations. Usually it's the don'ts. Because Jesus said that his his commandments are not burdensome. So joyful worship coupled with generous giving should be the atmosphere as we gather on the Lord's day. We demonstrate God is sovereign over our lives, which includes sovereign over our times, which 75 to 80% of, of people in Canada say, no, he isn't. Sunday is my own deal. Sunday is for my own business. Sunday is for my own pleasure. Sunday is not for God. I'll determine what I want to do on Sunday, please. But we demonstrate the fundamental truth that God is sovereign over our time. And so we're going to take time off and get together and worship God. So we take time to meet with the people of God and pray and sing and hear his word and examine our lives. We rest from our labors. We need rest from our labors. Our bodies and souls need that rhythm of rest one day of the week. And we will find ourselves physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually getting into trouble if we don't rest. If we fail to rest and worship on a consistent basis on Sunday, what are we saying about the priority of God and his word? What are we saying about the importance of Christian fellowship and ministry? What message are we giving to our children about the importance of God, the church, and service? Then we gather to remember our gracious deliverance from sin to the death of Christ on the cross. Remember how in Deuteronomy 5 it pointed out that you are to remember your deliverance from Egypt. Sunday is a good time to remember our deliverance from sin as we talk about the cross and sing about the cross. And although we don't have the the severe penalties associated with Sabbath breaking, that was true of Old Testament Israel, we are the chosen people of God. We are distinct from the world, so we gather weekly to remember his mercy on us. Why would we who have experienced God's grace not want to celebrate it? What message are we saying to the world if we do the same thing on Sunday as they do on Sunday? What are we saying about the importance of God and His truth? Then we come to hear the Word of God proclaimed, so to have our minds challenged and our souls refreshed. Let me give you some advice here. Strike a balance between legalism And antinomianism, and that's a big word, against the law, against lawlessness. Strike a balance there. Stuart Briscoe calls that balance responsible discipleship. Prepare yourself for the Lord's Day. What you do Saturday evening has a big impact on how you respond on Sundays. Some of us stay out late not us, not me, I don't, (laughs) Saturday evening, and we are so wiped when we come to church that we do this the whole service. I see it, I see it. (laughs) And resolve to listen intently and respond obediently to the truth of God. Can I just say something? Be in this room on Sunday morning, not in the foyer, visiting, not someplace else. Be here to participate, to listen and learn. Albert Moeller says anything that would detract from our worship should not be done on the Lord's day. Anything that would rob the Lord's day of priority of worship should not be done. Anything that would be on our minds when we are worshiping, as if, if we can only get done with this in order to do that, is a matter of sin, no matter what it is. When our focus on Sunday is what it should be, it'll have a tremendous enriching impact upon our lives. So I I leave you with these four R's. Rest. Take a rest. Take a break. I rest six days a week and work on Sunday. And you work six days a week and rest on Sunday. Cease from your labors. Refresh your body, mind, and spirit. And remember, remember, remember your great creator and your great redeemer. And rejoice. Rejoice that Jesus is alive. Celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and respond. Submit to God's sovereign authority over your whole life, including your time. Respond with heartfelt praise. Respond with generous giving. Respond with eager service. So the Old Testament commandment says, honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I would say, let's resolve to honor the Lord's day to keep it holy. And may God give us wisdom as to how to do that. Let us pray.